summer can be a good time to improve our stroke, whether in swimming, kayaking, tennis, golf, or whatever. And to help, you can buy power drinks, power bars, and all kinds of protein and power supplements. We used to have power lunches and breakfasts, and certain colors represented power. Remember power ties? I see Jim with his red power tie on today. And just the other day, I took a power nap. Ever since the beginning of humankind, there has been a desire for power. Adam and Eve believed that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would gain great knowledge and almost be as powerful as God. As though there is a simple formula for getting power. Simply eat an apple or wear a certain color tie or drink a certain drink. And then there are those who spend an entire lifetime pursuing control and power. Some of you may know from history the twice Prime Minister of England, Benjamin Disraeli. One of his admirers speaking about him to John Bright said, You ought to give him credit for what he has accomplished as he is a self-made man. I know he is, retorted Mr. Bright, and he admires his maker. You see, the danger of the the myth of the self-made man or woman is that it brings with it the potential pitfall of pride. Whatever degree of power we have known in our life, I suspect that at some time, We have all fallen prey to the danger of pride, somehow thinking we were better than we really were. Today's sermon will deal with some of the power dynamics going on in our world, in our country, and in our communities, and in our lives, I dare say, and I will let you make the connection as you connect the dots. The Apostle Paul struggled with balancing his tendency toward pride and the recognition that he was not better than others. And the first five words of our second lesson are, it is necessary to boast. Paul tempers this by saying, on my own behalf, I will not boast. But for this other who has been caught up in the vision and revelation, this other one was most probably Paul himself only 14 years earlier. But even still, Paul refrains from sharing the revelations because he literally wanted to spare those to whom he was writing. What Paul does want to boast of in in this passage is his weakness. Charlie Brown and Lucy are walking along, and Charlie Brown says, I hate having so many faults. I'd really like to be a better person. And then he says, I wonder what it would be like to know that you were perfect. And Lucy puts her elbow on the philosophical wall and she says, take it from me. It feels great. (laughs) Even with his rather large ego, Paul knew that he was far from perfect. Like Charlie Brown and like us, Paul, too, had many weaknesses and struggles. (laughs) 
So the first reality check from our text this morning is that life involves struggle. Struggle. The power game, on the other hand, promises the illusion that if we can just get enough control, we can rise above the struggles and hardships of life and eventually avoid most weaknesses altogether. I had a man come in off the street many years ago by the name of Gene DeWitt. I wrote it down because, because it was so striking to me what happened. Gene was about 45 years old. He had been a Christian for just a little less than five years. He, was, he had had a business that had gone bankrupt in Michigan. That's where I was serving a church in Michigan. And he was trying to get assistance as he was uh, passing through town, needing to get to his family back in Pennsylvania. They had help there uh, and could help him get back on his feet. He explained how he had looked up his church affiliation in the phone book back when people used phone books. Um, And upon calling the Foursquare Gospel Church and explaining his problem to the pastor, the pastor replied, and get this, he said, Christians don't have problems. That's what he told him. Christians don't have problems. And so finding no help there, Gene had come to our UCC church where we were fortunately able to give him some assistance to make his way back to Pennsylvania. For even as people of faith, when we are honest and not seeking to escape, we know that there is much suffering to go through. The Apostle Paul interprets his thorn in the flesh as a daily and bodily reminder of his weakness, helping him to avoid growing conceited and prideful. From Calcutta, you remember the late Mother Teresa. She shared an encounter she once had. Once I was with a woman who was dying from cancer, she said, never have I seen anyone suffer so much. I told her that suffering was a gift from God and that pain is but a kiss from Jesus. The woman pulled me to her and said, please, Mother, have Jesus stop kissing me. And then she smiled. Suffering is such a mixed bag, isn't it? It's not wonderful to be weak and to struggle. And yet to be human is to struggle. To avoid struggle is to avoid being human. People struggle against life, against the odds and against the stream. People struggle with problems, with pain, with others and with themselves. People struggle for balance, for strength, for relationships. And people struggle for faith. To struggle is to be human. From the tales of the Hasidim, Rabbi Martin Buber shares a poignant story. A man who was afflicted with a terrible disease complained to the rabbi that his suffering interfered with his learning and praying. And so the rabbi put his hand on his shoulder and he said, How do you know, friend? What is more pleasing to God, your study or your learning from your suffering? For Paul, the suffering, the weakness, the struggle provided balance from a prideful sense of power. In verse 7 we read, And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. 
Now, we don't know what the thorn was, but we do know that it caused Paul to struggle with weakness. And we all have our own thorns. Sometimes we think that other people are the thorns in our flesh. But there are things that we struggle with most deeply, and those things can limit us. They can limit us. They can make us feel helpless. Perhaps we struggle with accepting a painful truth about ourselves or another person or about our life situation. The fact is there are things in our lives which make us aware of our weakness, and so at times we struggle. And yes, we would probably rather not have to deal with them if we had our choice. Paul didn't want his. In fact, he prayed three times that the Lord would remove his thorn. And the Lord replied in verse 9 with, My grace is sufficient. Which leads us to a deeper reality this morning from struggle to support. From struggle to support. Whenever we struggle, we seek support. And the key is where we find it and what kind it is. More often than not, the world tells us we get it by using other people and by relying on ourselves. For instance, back to sports, if you're struggling with your stroke, you are told to develop better support and strength so that you can improve your power stroke. Get to the gym. The problem is that the idea of perfecting your power stroke can get shifted over to your life's struggles. And so self-improvement and self-betterment and perfection become the goal. Again, a life where struggle and weakness are minimized. Now, you probably remember Muhammad Ali. Once he was getting on an airplane... And as they were getting ready for takeoff, the flight attendant said, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And Ali retorted brashly. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant said, and Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> to which Ali buckled his seatbelt. And yet, when we recognize our weakness... The limiting factors in our lives, we can allow that which ultimately sustains us to support us. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes it's hard to trust that kind of support when we'd rather deal with our weaknesses and struggles, when we'd rather not deal with our weaknesses and struggles, or we'd rather just handle it ourselves. A weakness and a struggle can help us sense our need for God. In Paul's case, his weakness kept him from pride and made him ready to receive God's grace, support, and power. In thy, war, in thy word, Lord, is my trust. To thy mercies fast I fly. Though I am but clay and dust, yet thy grace can lift me high. So penned the 17th century theologian and poet Thomas Campion. And this brings us to the power shift for this morning, which is strength. Real strength. Not the strength which comes from self-development and discipline, but the paradoxical strength that comes from weakness. The world tells us to perfect our power stroke through self-improvement and doing away with weaknesses, minimizing our, our handicap, as it were. 
Paul tells us to deal with our struggles, yes, but to balance that with relying on the Lord's support. In verse 9, the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a different kind of power stroke. For Paul goes on to say, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The strange truth is that it is through suffering, brokenness, and struggle that God brings forth redemption, renewal, and strength. In his book, A Farewell to Arms, Ernest Hemingway wrote, The world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong in the broken places. The kind of strength our text lifts up this morning is a total reversal of the world's definition of strength. Our plea as followers of Christ is not for strength without weakness, but that we might have no more adversity than we can bear and no more strength than we can stand without becoming prideful. Perfecting your power stroke means following the way of the cross. For in it, Christ was made weak and vulnerable. And yet the miracle and mystery of our faith affirm what we are pointed to, and that, of course, is resurrection. And what is the resurrection but a sign of power and strength coming out of weakness, all for the energizing of new life? As the late statesman Dag Hammarskjöld so aptly put it in his spiritual journal entitled Mike Markings, the irredeemable in a person of power, vice versa, the power of the redeemed. Struggle. Strength. And support. These are the three realities of faith for perfecting your power stroke. Life involves struggle. I will boast of my weaknesses. In fact, a thorn was given me in the flesh, said Paul. And in the midst of struggle, the Lord will give support. No matter how deep the waters, no matter how devastating the weakness, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then strangely, a strength is available that only God can give. For my power is made perfect in weakness, says the Lord. And as Paul concludes our text, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The secret to perfecting your power stroke is that you can't. Only Christ can working in and through you. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so in closing, I want to share a piece by the 17th century poet Edmund Waller. He wrote, The soul's dark cottage, battered and decayed, lets in new light through chinks that time has made. Stronger by weakness, wiser we become as we draw near to our eternal home. In the struggle of life, if we will but let in the support God 
offers us through his grace, we will be strengthened for whatever happens to us as we seek to follow in the way of Christ. And what a wondrous, amazing way that is. Amen. Let us turn.